Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. This is Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. Yo, question. You ever notice that who Jesus looks like? or how Jesus is, the things that Jesus cares about often depends on who is telling you about Jesus in any particular moment. That's pretty convenient, ain't it? It's almost like we make Jesus in our own image. I say our first person plural because I don't think I'm immune to this particular phenomenon. I like to think Jesus cares about the same things I care about, too. Helps me feel Christ-like, mature, spiritual, deep. Now, there exists a possibility that I may live to regret recording myself being that transparent. Each and every episode of the New Living Translation I record and release moves me that much further away from my dream of being the United States of America's next great token black conservative grifter. As much as I enjoy kicking it with all of y'all, there's also a bag that I feel slipping away every time I kick it like I do on this podcast. There's going to come a time where I have to put away my African-American vernacular English, pick up the king's English, carry the bag, for Justice Clarence Thomas. But I digress. This season, we've been chasing love as an act of liberation throughout the scriptures. We've been in Genesis, Exodus. We've been in 1 John. We done touched in on a couple gospel episodes. And throughout all of our exploration, we've been looking at the places where people experience some form of bondage, something standing between them and the wholeness of what God created them for how the love of God releases people to experience life in new ways. Now we about to have us one of them conversations that might seem kind of awkward coming from me. Some of y'all know Pastor Trey, not just no nickname, like I really be doing this. I serve in the local church community. I still believe in Jesus. I still believe in the redemptive and transformative power of the church. The same time, I recognize that the church has been the location where a lot of us receive the bondage that keeps us from experiencing the wholeness of God. I don't think that's ideal, but I recognize it as a reality and a truth that a lot of people experience. Unfortunately, that's the way that life unfolds for a lot of people. The majority of the harm we face will not be from the outside monsters that we've constructed in our imagination. It'll be from the people that we've grown closest to, people that we let our guard down around the most. Sometimes the people that we are in community with have the greatest potential and greatest probability of hurting us the most. There's an African-American proverb that says, it be your own people. I provide all of that background to remind us that a lot of what we read in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, 
and especially in the gospel accounts, is the playing out of an intra-communal conflict, an in-house discussion, if you will, people who are in community with each other, trying to work out their differences and the different ways that they have experienced life in light of the revelation of God in real time. And today we're going to look at an episode that is, in the grand scheme of things, almost sort of obscure. In fact, a lot of Bibles will actually include a note saying that this particular episode didn't even make it into all of the manuscripts that were found. But they're in most of our Bibles, even if they're bracketed off a little bit. Without any further ado, we're going to have us some bona fide Bible talk about John chapter 7 verse 53 through John chapter 8 verse 11. You might know it as the story of the woman caught in adultery. Let's get into it. Everybody started heading home, but Jesus went to Olive Mountain. Next day, he headed back to the temple, and everybody went to check him out. So he sat down and started kicking game to him. Just then, bam, the church leaders bought this lady they called being a homewrecker put her front and center. They said, Mr. Teacher, we caught this lady right in the middle of wrecking a home. According to the Bible, Moses say we gotta stone her. What you gotta say about that? They was trying to get him caught up. They needed some sort of dirt on him. But Jesus just crouched down and started writing on the ground. They kept trying him though. So he stood up said to him, whichever one of y'all got a perfect record, go ahead, throw the first stone. Then he crouched back down, wrote more stuff on the ground. After they heard what he said, they started feeling mad guilty. Started dipping, one by one. The oldest ones dipped first, down to the last. And it was just Jesus. Jesus and the lady, front and center. Jesus got up. He ain't seen nobody but the lady. He said, Lady, where they went? Ain't nobody stick around to throw no stones? She said, No, sir. No one. Then he told her, Well, me neither. Go ahead. And from now on, stay out that mess. Remember that thing I talked about earlier where a lot of times we end up creating and crafting Jesus in our own image? Yeah, buddy. This right here, this passage, this episode in the Gospel of John is one of them Rorschach ink block test type things where we really get to see a bunch of people decide who they hope Jesus is in this moment. I like to boil the two main opinions down to a couple of lines Jesus utters. One of them is... Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the other one is, go and sin no more. Now, if you like me, you one of them people who get tired of other people being judgmental. Right? Everybody got something to say, but ain't nobody perfect. And we like to lean on the let he who is without sin cast the first stone part of that story. I think that's a pretty dope part to lean on. But then there's a lot of people who correctly note that the story ends with Jesus telling this woman who was caught in this sinful act of adultery, go and sin no more. People will emphasize that line and say, yes, 
Jesus is forgiving and compassionate, but he still calls us out of sin. I think that's fair to note. But what about the parts of the story that we don't look at too often? The parts of the story that are kind of left unsaid. Like I have a few questions about some of the things that happen in this story. For instance, if she was caught in the act of adultery, who was she adulterating with? Like that right there ain't no solo act. It takes at least two to tango in this situation. How come ain't but one person being brought before Jesus? Only one person dirty laundry airing out. It's only one person staying in judgment for an act that it took two people to commit and an act that they allegedly caught happening in progress. Make this make sense to me. It's interesting because it seems to imply that the woman in this instance is being held to a different standard than other people in that community. And one of the things that the Bible suggests that God detests over and over and over are unequal weights and measures, meaning that when we balance things out, if you were to use a different weighted stone for one side in order to cheat somebody of what is rightfully due them, God gets upset about that. And maybe that's why Jesus moves like he does at the beginning of this story. Some of y'all have noticed that I translated scribes and Pharisees as church leaders because, as I said at the front end of this, what we're witnessing is an intra-communal dispute here. And for Christians reading this text, it's important that we not villainize the people of another community and look at how this might apply to our own communities. We're looking at the way that leaders in our own religious communities might exercise their authority in ways that are unfair to the people that they are charged with serving. And ain't it kind of funky that Jesus does not respond to their accusation but to crouch down and start scribbling stuff in the dirt? Almost as though to say, fine, if y'all want to put the dirt out in the open, let's really get into it. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus started writing. And we're left to fill in that detail with our sanctified imagination. I like to think that as Jesus knelt down and started writing in the ground, that he started sketching out some of the dirt on the record of the very same people who had brought this woman to accuse out in front of all of these people, to embarrass and shame her. And that as Jesus kneels down to write in the dirt, that he engages in the work of making the weights equal again, of making the measures equal again, of correcting the injustice that was being perpetuated in front of them. Perhaps as Jesus kneels down to write in the dirt, he names all of the times that these people who stand as accusers were unfaithful in their own past. So they begin to walk away heads hung in shame. And after this period of setting the scales back right again, after this period of making the measures equal again, after this period of reflection and deliberation, Jesus stands up, looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? Where the people who stacked the charges up? Did any of them stick around? She says, no. And Jesus says, well, we good then. Almost as if to say that when all of the scales have been set right, when all of the weights and the measures are equal again, 
that the judgment that we carry, the shame that people tried to heap on us, begins to fall away. And so in his unmatched commitment to wholeness, Jesus liberates this woman from the shame that a shameless people tried to place on her, from the judgment of a condemnable people. And standing as the righteous judge, Jesus actually liberates us from judgment and shame. Now that's the Jesus I like to celebrate. Some people accuse me of shying away from sin because that part of the story isn't the end of the story. After Jesus liberates her from this judgment and shame, he says, go and sin no more. But I've always found it curious that he only said this after having dismissed all of the people who stood in judgment before. It's almost as though the company she kept was as big a sin as whatever she was being accused of. After the judgment of Jesus peels away all of the people who stood in judgment of her, Jesus releases her from that judgment and says to go and sin no more. It seems that Jesus realizes and acknowledges that she could never experience the wholeness that God had in store for her in the company of people determined to judge and condemn her. And ain't it a shame that sometimes we have to leave our communities to find God? But I find an odd comfort in the fact that the same community that tried to shame and judge and ostracize this woman pushed her into the arms of a loving Jesus who liberated her from the shame that that community tried to heap on her. And my hope is that as we realize that ain't none of us perfect and God calls us to a fuller, more whole life still, Jesus stands ready to liberate us from the shame that other people have tried to heap on us. Saying, go ahead. And from now on, stay out that mess. Let me pray with you. God from on high who has called us to and designed us for a life of wholeness and fullness, we thank you for setting the scales right again. Recognizing that it is by your commitment to our wholeness that we are released from the shame and the condemnation of the other people around us, we ask that you would remind us of this truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, Black Men. You can find me on all social media platforms at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05. Don't send me no Facebook requests, though. Like, I don't be over there. That's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at patreon.com slash three black men. Spell three out that time, though. Patreon.com slash three black men. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar. <laughs>